Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma. And I'm glad you've chosen today to listen to this, our podcast. I hope as you listen to this, you fall more in love with Jesus, and I also hope you fall more in love with His people. Enjoy this podcast today. You realize that it's pretty dangerous to follow Jesus. Have you thought of that? pretty dangerous because when we follow him, he rocks our world. He not only gives us access to the most incredible benefits that heaven has to offer, but with that we say no to the most, the the things of this world that get in the way of those benefits. And I want to start this message this morning by highlighting a man that lived a life of faith. By the way, today's message is entitled Expanded Means. Expanded Means. What does that mean? Well, this gentleman that I want to read about together with you is going to demonstrate very profoundly what it means to live in the expanded means of the workings of following Jesus. It says... Well, you can't follow along with me, but you can listen here. It says, the children, they're dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them. The house mother of the orphanage had informed George Mueller. George asked asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep somehow. I knew that you would need bread this morning, and I got up and I baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door, and it was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the will was fixed, and he asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in ten large cans of milk. It was just enough for 300 thirsty children. Now, in giving advice gained through daily trials of his faith, this father of the orphans laid down rules for the Christian to follow in which they might also strengthen their faith. These rules are, read the Bible and meditate upon it. God has become known to us through prayer and meditation upon his word. Number two, Seek to maintain an upright heart and a good conscience. Number three, if we desire our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink from opportunities where our faith may be tried and therefore through trial be strengthened. The last important point for the strengthening of our faith is that we let God work for us when the hour of our trial of our faith comes and do not work a deliverance of our own. Would the believer therefore have his faith strengthened? He must give God time to work. Now, I've got quite a bit to read here, but it really points out this man and how he lived. It says, there was no detail too insignificant to take to the Lord in prayer. He lived literally according to the passage in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests requests be made known to God. Real trust in God is above circumstances and appearances, he affirmed. The Mueller's, the family, they set off for the United States in August of 1877. This is a really cool story. So they set off, and they're on 
they'll board this ship. And off of Newfoundland, the weather turned cold and the ship's progress was seriously uh, delayed by the fog. The captain had been on the bridge for 24 hours when something happened which which would revolutionize his life. George Mueller appeared on the bridge. Captain, I have come to tell you I must be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. The captain said, it is impossible. Very well, said Mueller. If your ship cannot take me, God will find another way. I have never before broken an engagement for 52 years. Let's go down to the chart room and pray. The captain wondered which lunatic asylum Mueller had come from. Mueller, Mr. Mueller, he said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God. He controls every circumstance of my life. Mueller then knelt down and prayed simply. When he had finished, the captain was about to pray, but Mueller put his hand on the shoulder and he told him not to. First, you do not believe he will, and second, I believe he has. <laughs> and there's no need what there's no need whatever for you to pray about it. The captain looked at, looked at Mueller amazed. Captain, he continued, I have known my Lord for 52 years, and there has never been a single day that I failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, captain, and open the door, and you will find the fog is gone. The captain walked across to the door and opened it. The fog had lifted. It was the captain himself who later told the story of the incident and who was subsequently described by a well-known evangelist as one of the most devoted men I ever knew. It was, pr- it was prayer that swept his soul free of doubt and distemper, and the after effects of a trial by an incoming tide of peace. For this reason, he could make such remarks as in the entry on March 9, 1847. The greater the difficulties, the easier for faith. And the later one, the greater the trial, the sweeter the victory. His victories came through prayer, trust in the Lord's unfailing promises, and a faith that God, that God's truth would not fail. It's not enough to begin to pray, he advises us, nor to pray aright, nor is it enough to continue for a time to pray. But we must patiently, believingly continue in prayer until we obtain an answer. And further, we must, or we have not only to continue in prayer until the end, but we have also to believe that God does hear us and will answer our prayers. Most frequently, we fail in our continuing in prayer until the blessing is obtained and not in expecting the blessing. During the last year of Mr. Mueller's life, among the gifts for the feeding of the orphans, listen to this. These are the recorded things that he had witnessed for the feeding of the orphans. There were 7,203 loaves of bread, 5,222 buns, 20 boxes of soap, 9 tons of coal, 26 haunches of venison, 112 rabbits, 312 pheasants, 5 bags of oatmeal, 26 cases of oranges, 5 boxes of dates, 4,013 pounds of meat, along with hundreds of other items. Additionally, he had prayed for the finances. Now, this is in the 1800s. He had additionally prayed for the financial needs of the orphans, houses, and during the course of his lifetime, received over two and a half million dollars. Always making his request, request known only to God. All of these gifts were needed to help care for and feed thousands of orphans under his careful wing. George Mueller was a living demonstration of the reality of the scripture, Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches of glory through Christ Jesus. 
You know, I sometimes read the Bible and I think, that's cool. That was a long time ago. That's a great book. And sometimes I I think, God, I need to have the faith for this. But sometimes it's hard to just get it. I don't know. Can I be real with you all for a minute? Sometimes I read the words in the Bible and I know it's to be true. But sometimes it's hard to see how it could happen today. And then I see stories like this. And I think what happened then just just not too long ago, 100 years ago or so, 150 years can happen today. This isn't 2,000 years ago. This was fairly recent future or past. And it helps build my faith. In a mode of full confession, I was with a family on Friday who was witnessing a tragedy in their lives and um, after they had gone through this very tragic situation uh, the woman was was dealing with a debilitating migraine due to the stresses and the gentleman was exhibiting signs of a heart attack and um, I know that we have been talking lately about how we can demonstrate God's love in a very profound way to people and we've been watching people today um, how they Uh, just out of love and compassion, begin to pray and demonstrate as Jesus would, um, just praying for people and watching them be healed. And so I reached across the table to this couple that have absolutely no profound faith in their lives. His words were not religious. We have family and friends. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, can I pray with you? And everything in me, I was having that heart race, that I knew this was God's wanting me to pray, that it wasn't just this good gesture, but I was really struggling, like, I was, I was facing doubt, and I said, God, you have got to, I'm going to do this, but you have got to deliver, because I'm going to pray to demonstrate the love of Christ, your love to these people, and it's up to you. I reached across the table, and I grabbed her hand, and I prayed very simply, God, I know you love this woman so much, and I pray, God, right now, through your love, that you would, you would take this migraine away in Jesus' name. You know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. And I sat there at the table, and in everything that was in me, I said to myself, I'll do it again tomorrow. I'll do it again tomorrow. I'm determined. I am determined as the pastor of this church More than that, as a lover of Jesus, as somebody that is seeking everything within me to find a compassion that he had, the love that he had for people, I am determined to demonstrate the love that he had and to do it again tomorrow, to do it again this afternoon. And whatever it takes, I'm going to love people whether they exhibit signs that something has happened in their lives. I so want to walk through the jail and and have the, the inmates as they do mock me and, and comment as I walk through the, the, the hallways of the jail and reach across or, or through the, the cubby hole and put my hand through and just say, Jesus loves you, and watch them feel and experience some kind of a, a manifestation of the love of Jesus through that. And, I, and I'll demonstrate that, and I'll do that, and I will love them, and if they experience anything, that's not on me. But you know, 
what I want to get through today's message to you is that we have a God that will demonstrate miraculously some kind of a startling in the front row. No, so, that will, a God that will demonstrate in our lives, through our lives, and for other people that there is some form of a, an expanded means that he has. That he wants to demonstrate beyond our capabilities who he is. And let me, let me walk you through some scripture if I can do that today. If you've got your Bibles, turn, if you can, to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at two very similar, almost identical stories, but two separate occurrences of the same miracle. Matthew 14, we're going to look at verse 13 in Matthew 14. Verse 13 in Matthew 14. It says, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew. Now, I think it's important that we set the stage a little bit to show you the, the, the magnitude of the compassion that Jesus has on these people. What is it that Jesus has just heard? If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Gospels, when um, Mary, Jesus' mother, has discovered that she is uh, with child, that she is carrying the very Son of God, Jesus Himself. She goes to a relative um, sister who is with child also, and she's carrying a son who is going to be named John. Well, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is carrying John, and the very encounter between the two, the Bible says that there was a stirring. Uh, I'll use words differently, but my interpretation is there was a stirring that the, the Bible talks about that John uh, leapt with joy within the womb of Elizabeth. And, and we know that, that there's this familial encounter. There is this, uh, as cousins they were, um, from the very beginning. And John goes and he carries on a ministry of repentance. Jesus is born and he, he launches his ministry at age 30. And he goes to John and he's baptized. And there's all kinds of min- uh, sermons that I could preach on the significance of Jesus being baptized in John's baptism at that point. But uh, they they were um, close enough. They, there was a camaraderie. There was a familial familial connection there. There was a significance in their relationship. And Jesus has just heard word that John the Baptist has been beheaded, and he needs to grieve. So Jesus withdraws in verse thirteen from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it. They followed him on foot from the towns. In verse 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. I think it's very true of many of us, myself included, that we oftentimes just don't feel like dealing with people. I think Jesus was justified to withdraw. I think even with the crowd, Jesus, in my mind, could have been justified to stay away, to stay on the land, or in, in the water, on the boat. And in my mind, we could have said, it's okay, Jesus, you can have a break. But his compassion, I want us to see this, the compassion that he had. He was moved with compassion that he had to do something about the people that were around him. It wasn't about his moment to grieve. It was about the moment that he had to demonstrate the love that he had for the people. And it wasn't so much about the miracles and demonstrating how awesome he was. It was about the moment he had to show these people how much he loved them. When I sat across the table from that woman on Friday, 
I had the, the, I mean, it was all probably split second, but I had that, if I do this and she's healed, I'm going to look good. I had that moment. I, I, I sometimes don't respond because I'm afraid that it's going to be pride. There was none of that here. Jesus just had compassion. Lord Jesus, help me, help us all in this place just operate out of compassion and love for people. That we do things naturally because we just love them. You know, I know with my children, I would do anything. I, I, don't, do, I don't fix their issues. I don't make things happen for them because I want them to see how awesome I am. They already do. <laughs> but I do things for them because I love them. Right? There's, there's no, I don't want anything in return for that. So here's Jesus, and he's just moving out of his natural, innate character of compassion and love. In verse 15, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Look at the picture that's said here. They're, they're, they're in a removed place. There's no way that they can gather any kind of means to be able to take, right? It's a desolate place. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And we know of a story where a woman, we talked about it last week, approaches Jesus for water. Actually, Jesus approaches the woman for water, right? And then he says to her, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water and She says, but you don't even have a vessel to draw the water from. And he says, I don't need a vessel. I am the vessel. I wonder if Jesus was looking at his disciples in this moment and saying to them, you be the vessel. You be the source. Maybe he was saying in his way of doing things in a hidden way, I am the source. He says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him in verse 17, we have only five loaves here and two fish. I'm sure with a smile on his face, he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take the fi- and, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples And the disciples gave them to the crowds. I can only then in that moment imagine what the disciples were. I I had five loaves, but I I keep going back and there's more every time I go back. How is this happening? And in verse 20, it says, They ate and they were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Then there's some scriptures that I'll I'll actually talk on in the next weeks with Jesus walking on water and calling Peter out of a boat. And then we look at Matthew 15, jumping over just one chapter. And this is a very similar, almost identical set of circumstances. It says Jesus called his disciples to him in verse 32 of Matthew 15. And he said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and they've had nothing to eat. Now that's a long sermon. What would you do if I went till 2 o'clock today? Would you just get up and go, you're like, I'm t- the babies are cranky, I'm hungry, I can barely stay awake now, what's going on? Um, Jesus has been talking to them for three days, and the people haven't even had a chance to break for lunch. 
They've had nothing to eat. And he says, I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread? Don't you think they would have had it figured out by now? Where are they going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? I'm sure they were chuckling again in this moment. And they said, seven and a a few. I mean, you had bread last time, but let me help you out this time. I have a few small fish. I got to tell a story. I uh, I catered a wedding once, and um, I, I think that the uh, wedding coordinator must have thought that she was a little bit of Jesus in this moment because after all this that I had done, she came to me. She says, you don't have enough food. Now, I did. I had just enough food. There was Everybody had enough food, and there was very little leftovers. It was the perfect amount. And, I mean, this woman was very difficult to deal with, and bless her heart. But uh, anyway, we the, the bride and I still joke about it to this day, but she was like, I just can't do this. And she said, she went to town, left everything, the coordinating, the bride and everybody. And she went into town, she went to the grocery store and she got more food. She came back with one bag of pretzels. Like that was going to make the difference, right? So I can just see the disciples here in this situation going, well, here's some bread, but I have a couple of fish. I, I just, I don't know why that, why that makes me think of that scenario, but I'm sure they felt like they could help Jesus out in a little more measure than just bread this time. And directing the crowd, again, Jesus sat them down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. I love that when we get in the right position, the right posture, when we spend enough time our time with Jesus, when we get into his word, there's this great place of satisfaction. There's a a satisfied, you ever find yourself going through life, going through time, uh, even in our relationship with God, where we just aren't satisfied, where things aren't coming together. I tell you, I want to encourage you, get into his word, get into this life-giving meat that he has to offer you. And when you get there and you spend that time in the right encounters, just like George Mueller talked about with this point, number one, with spend time in the word and in meditation, there's a satisfied place that comes for us all. But then it says they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate this time were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, Jesus got into a boat, and he went to a region of Megadon. So I want to just take a few more minutes. I try not to get overly winded, (laughs) long-winded when I visit with you all on Sunday mornings. I try to get to the point, give you some good information, and let us get out of here um, changed with what God has. But I want to give just four observations of following Jesus from this two passages of scripture, Scripture this morning. Four observations about following Jesus. Sorry, Dad, they do not alliterate. They're just basic observations. Observation number one, we cannot control when we will be called to act. Look at Jesus' situation, right? He, just as as I pointed out earlier, he was just informed of the death of John the Baptist, his cousin. He's beheaded. He has every right but he was called to action. What was the call to action? It was compassion. It was compassion that moved him. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Be ready to spread the word whether or not the time is right. 
point out errors, warn people, and encourage them. Be very patient when you teach. I could tell you stories. Dad could tell you stories. Time and time again, when dealing with chaplaincy, when it's never when it's convenient that we get called to action, is it? I can think of the times, I can think of a, a specific Thanksgiving. I was preparing the turkey. I was working the, I was doing a lot of the meal preparation when I got called to deal with a family after the loss of a loved one. And you can't just tell the, the dispatcher, I'm sorry, they died at a very inconvenient time. I can't go deal with this. You just get up and go, and you deal with it. In pastoral ministry, if any of you were to call me and say, I need you, it's probably not going to be the most convenient time, but we're gonna, Vanessa and I are going to just show up and be there for you and love on you and help you through whatever you're dealing with. That's part of it. <coughs> Point number two. Number one, we can't control when we will be called to act. It's very true. That's why we just need to be, be there all the time. Number two, he will use us to perform the tax, tasks the miracle is contained in. Think about that. He will use us to perform the task the miracle is contained in. So far we've got two C's. Called to act, contained in. Maybe it does alliterate on accident. Jesus brought the bread, he broke it, and he had the disciples distribute it. He told the disciples to have the crowds sit. He had the disciples do the work. Look at the story with me, if you can, in John chapter 2. The very first miracle Jesus ever performed was when he turned water to wine. And I love this. Uh, We've got Jesus, he's at a wedding. Jesus' mommy comes to him and he says, she says, hey, you need to get more wine to these people. They've run out. And Jesus, in, chapter, in verse 7, says to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. How many times is Jesus telling you, do something first, and then the miracle can happen? Do something first. Do something in faith. Act out. Make some gesture forward. For example, the woman I prayed with on Friday, I'd love to have told you the story that she was miraculously healed, but I can guarantee she wouldn't have been healed if I didn't pray for her. I do know that neither one of them, he did not suffer a, a, a heart attack. They're both home. They did not have a long-term issue at the hospital. I know that for a fact. So I'm going to say that maybe through Jesus, because of that example, that something was stopped in his name. But I can guarantee you that he would not have moved if I didn't act out in obedience and pray. For some reason, in God's grand scheme of awesomeness, he could do anything he wants without us, but he's chosen to use us. He's chosen to use you. He's chosen to use me. He could appear to any one of us at any given time and say, look, I'm real. But he's decided to inhabit us and to make us love people and for people to see him in us. And so the miracle is most likely going to be contained in your obedience to his call. Of course, those vessels we know in that story wound up 
being filled with water turned to wine. And not only was it turned into wine, but it was turned into the best wine. Point number three. My observations from this. And this is huge. I want you to listen to me very carefully here. Because we all make excuses for why we don't do things. But listen to this. Jesus asks for what we have. Not for what is enough. We make our excuses. We talk about, well, I don't know enough scripture. Or I don't know enough about him. I can't talk to others about Jesus because I just don't know enough. He's telling you today, what do you have? Moses had a staff. The disciples had a few loaves and a a couple of fish. What do you have in this place today? My fourth observation, and I love this. You can see how they're building on top of each other. His supply is larger than the need. His supply is larger than the need. Let me recap these, and then I'm going to talk about that for a little bit longer. Number one, we can't control when we'll be called to act. Number two, he uses us to perform the tasks the miracle is contained in. Number three, Jesus asks for what we have, not what is enough. And number four, his supply is larger than the need. George Mueller, the story of George Mueller. Look at the life that he lived. Look at how many times, down to the faith, he did not have a drop of food in the orphanage to feed 300 kids, yet he still sat them down to eat. He still prayed over the food, and when he concluded the prayer, the food came in. And then he quoted Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask, think, according to the power that is at work within us. I love the way the Passion Translation puts it. It says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than you could, or infinitely more than your greatest request. Your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. So what I want us to leave with today, how I want us to figure out how to apply this in our lives today, what what we do with this when we walk out of these doors, for you will hear me over and over and over again talk about what we do in here today is not church. What we do out there is church. It's being Jesus to the world out there. How do we do this? Well, I want to tell you very clearly and with everything that was in within me, act in every opportunity with the love of Jesus. Have faith and allow him to perform the miracles through your action. Use what you have and watch him supply the need. But if we sit on our tails, he won't do anything through us. Pray when you see the need. Let me put it this way. When you see somebody that's struggling and you talk yourself out of praying for them, you have told, you have given them 
you've made the no decision for them. You can go up to somebody and say, can I pray for you? And they can easily say no. But if you choose not to pray for them at all, you have said no for them. One of my biggest pet peeves, don't say no for me. Let me say no for me, right? Let them reject you. Don't reject them. Don't, don't do the rejecting for them, right? Go up to someone, pray for them. They say no, fine. They say yes, what an awesome opportunity to watch God move. You don't see him move in that instant, that's not your problem. But it's time that we as a as lovers of Jesus love his people. And I'm going to be so bold this morning to say that if we don't love his people, let me ask, let me change it to a question. I think it, it makes it a little easier. Do we love Jesus if we don't love his people? Can I encourage us all to be lover, more, more outward in our loving expression towards people? And watch this expanded means thing happen. Watch him use us in a great way. I want us to be a people that God uses in a great way. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you all real quick. Father God, I thank you for this time of just sharing what you've got on my heart. I, it was more just talking and, and teaching and, and, you know, it was just real... It's just right. Lord, I pray we're convicted today. Lord, I pray we're moved with compassion. Lord, I pray we would love. Lord, help us all have a revelation of how much you love us. And in that, turn around and love others. Lord, I I look forward to the testimonies this week where others talk about how they prayed and you moved. I pray every one of us in, the, in this room and those hearing my voice through our multimedia ways, through the live stream and through the podcast when it gets posted this week. And I pray I would hear testimonies from that of how we got out and we did things and we prayed for people and we demonstrated love and we saw love in action. We saw you work and we saw how you took what little sometimes we have and you made it much saw your expanded means in our lives. <laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.